And my understanding is that Gary Smith is a good basketball player. Or so I've been told. I haven't had a chance to play against him. I don't want to. It's going to hurt me. Good evening. As mentioned, my name is Mike Schulte. A few years back when uh, CEO first started, I was the guy doing the videotaping with my camcorder. So it's, uh, this is long before the days of Blue Sky Productions doing a masterful job. So it, it, it's a lot of fun for me to be on the other side of the camera tonight. And it's a lot more than that. Without exaggerating, this is a dream come true for me to be able to have the opportunity to share my witness talk with all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. If they would have asked me to do this years ago, I probably could not have done it. So thank you to CEO for this opportunity for us lay people to encourage one another by sharing our stories. I have to be honest with you, pretty excited to talk to you tonight. But before we do that, a few things as we get started. Please raise your hand high if you've ever been in a spiritual or a mental rut before. Okay, thank you. Please raise your hand high if you believe that what you see right now as you look around is the real world. I mean, anything else would be crazy, right? It's a lot of hands, by the way. One more question, I promise. Please raise your hand high if you want to live in the real world. I mean, this better be everybody. I think it's been everybody all along, actually. Okay, thank you. We might come back to that a bit later. I'm extremely blessed to have come from a large Catholic family here in Cedar Rapids, and one in which I knew that I was loved. Thank you, Mom and Dad. If I'm crying already, it's going to be a long night. There's eight of us Schulte kids, and we all had our souls sealed with the Holy Spirit at baptism and confirmation at All Saints, and then went on to Regis. Those who know my family say that we're a great family, and like all of us from great families, I can't disagree with them. I wouldn't dream of it. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No family's perfect, but we are a great family. <clears throat> and that's a direct reflection of my mom and dad, the love between them and the blessings that have come their way from their strong Catholic faith. I have a twin brother, and we were the youngest growing up. We were known as the squirrels by our siblings. I think it was because we were little and I was running around the neighborhood playing sports. At least I think that's why. They never told me. I only thought about it when I put the speech together. Uh, there was lots of sports, lots of sports. Uh, uh, football on our knees in the living room and basketball in the living room too and dad would you please please nail the cardboard backboard and put the plastic rim with clamps on it and just nail it to the woodwork right as you go in from the living room to the dining room please he did <laughs> have I mentioned uh, that at the time my mom was an interior decorator thanks dad thanks mom Sports was a very big part of my life growing up, and with 10 of us in the David Linda Schulte household, so were very large portions of food. Um, I thought every family ate that way. So after meeting my future wife, we went to Dubuque, and I was going to meet her parents and have dinner. So, you know, kind of a big deal, very exciting. So as I went to sit down, I noticed that there was a little meatloaf by my plate. And I love meatloaf, and I was kind of hungry, so I went, ooh, individual meatloafs. Things got real quiet. 
Turns out there, there weren't individual meatloafs, it was the meatloaf. I'm grateful that sports was a big part of my life growing up because sports would end up teaching me some of my greatest lessons in life. It would also take me to you and I on a football scholarship, which was great because I had absolutely no idea where I was going to go for college. It gave me direction. God had a plan for me when I didn't have one for myself. This led me to meeting my wife and then to our children, of course. So I guess you could say if it weren't for football, my kids wouldn't be here today. Remember that, girls, the next time Dad wants to plop down on the couch and watch a game. One shift in thinking can change everything. It's going to be a long night. I learned this lesson while playing ball at you and I. Sports can be a great metaphor for life. What's great about it is that you get to deal with real life and death emotions without real life and death consequences. I mean, come on. Those of us that are sports fans, Hawk fans, let me hear you. You, you can relate to that, right? I'm a Hawk fan too, by the way, and I'm on video, so even I play to you and I. Go Hawks. Go Panthers. <clears throat> uh, so, so sports is great for, for learning experiences. I want to talk to you tonight about a specific experience that I had at UNI to illustrate a very profound truth. But before I, I do that, this truth is so profound that I think we need to talk about it first. Before I go any further, here it is. There is only the moment of now. And it's never ending. And it's where God lives. God lives, excuse me, this is Exodus 3.14. God lives in the eternal present. When the Lord revealed himself and his name to Moses, he said, I am who am. The Lord did not say, I was who was, or I will be who will be. He simply said, I am. We need to learn to dwell with the Lord where he is in the present. We need to train our minds to do that, to always be in the present moment. Marv Levy, the former co-cohawk uh, and Buffalo Bills head coach, says, says the following wherever he goes. And I can't say it without talking like Marv, so bear with me, because I heard him say it at a commencement speech at Co. There's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. That's what Marv Levy says to himself wherever he goes. Now, Marv also went to Harvard. He's a smart guy. He knows that Jesus Christ is reality and that Jesus Christ lives in the present moment, always drawing us to him. Have you ever heard of Spencer Johnson's book, The Precious Present? I highly recommend it. You need to go buy it and put it on your shelf. You can read the whole thing in like six minutes. It's a parable about an old man and a, and a young boy. And they love watching each other because they're always happy. So one day, the young boy says to the old man, Hey, I noticed you're always happy. Why is that? He said, Well, I have the precious present. When you have the precious present, you're always happy. He said, Well, what is it? He said, I can't tell you that. It's something you can only give to yourself. But once you have it, you'll always be happy. 
So the young boy starts growing up. He starts meeting with some adversity, like we all do as we grow up. And he kind of needed to know what the precious present was at this point. And so he, he went to the old man who was now older. He said, hey, that precious present thing, can you maybe tell me what it is? He said, it's, I can't tell you. It's, it's only something that you can give to yourself. But once you have it, you will always be happy. Well, the old man ended up passing away. And the young boy was now an adult. And it, he was having a tough time. And he was down because the old man had passed away. And he thought, nah, now I'm never going to know what the precious present is. And then it dawned on him one day that the precious present is the present moment, which is precious. And the precious present says, there is no past. There is no future. There is only the now. And it says, when I look to my past and I learn from my past, I am wise. But when I live in the past, I lose myself. When I look to the future and I plan my future, I am wise. But when I live in the future, I lose myself. The great news is that God thirsts for us and is always drawing us to himself. He also gives us the power to choose, doesn't he? So we can choose to be in the present moment whenever we want. That's pretty cool. The not so great news is that there's something that's competing for your attention. An evil spirit that's tempting you in every moment to not be present with God. To not be in the present moment. This thing wants you to either live in the past with regret or anger or hurt, fill in the blank. Or in the future with anxiety and worry. You can all relate to that, right? By the way, it's impossible to be in the present moment and worry at the same time. Just saying. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit. Be on high alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, having said all that, let's segue back to sports, <laughs> shall we? And I want to talk about this specific lesson at UNI. While keeping in mind that sports, again, is a great metaphor for life, right? Sports Psychology 101 says that an a as an athlete, you need to have a short memory. And to never let anything get in the way of just allowing you to go out there and be an athlete, okay? And perform as an athlete. If you make a mistake, forget about it. Move on. Have a short memory. Well, that sounds familiar. It's kind of like saying that an athlete needs to be in the present moment, doesn't it? Remember when the book when in the book The Precious Present that I just talked about where it said, when I look to my past and I learn from my past, I am wise. I want you to go back in time with me, 26 years ago to be exact, to my playing days at UNI. We didn't have sports psychology back then, and I certainly could have benefited from some of that information. I want you to visualize the Unidome in Cedar Falls as the game of life, and I'm on the field. It's the first quarter of the season opener, and I'm the running back, and I take the handoff from the quarterback. I get hit hard, and the ball comes out. It's a fumble. Oh, no. The other team recovers the ball. Double oh, no. Now, I had never had an issue with fumbles before. I remember thinking very strongly, though, in that moment, as I came off the field after that fumble, that I didn't want to touch the ball anymore. Did not want to touch the ball anymore. Because I was fearful that it would happen again. Stop right there. At this point, I had fallen prey to past, 
future thinking instead of being in the now, which is all there is and where life is to be lived. Instead of being in the now and just allowing myself to be an athlete, I was in the past feeling weird and upset that I had fumbled. And then quickly I was in the future with anticipatory anxiety, afraid that it would happen again. And it was destroying my thought process. Because of our human nature and the help of the evil one who wants us to live in the past and in the future, it's just so crazy how our thoughts can determine our actions. Sure enough, with that mindset, the next possession, I fumbled again. Keep in mind, this is the first quarter of the first game of the season. I mean, what a downer. Only this time, I didn't get hit hard. In fact, I don't think I got touched at all. And I still fumbled the ball again. This was like my carry moment. I mean, if you've seen that movie. The first fumble was physical. The second fumble was all mental. Something like this had never happened to me before. And what it felt like was like that it had never happened to anyone ever before. Of course, it happens to the best of us, but I didn't have that perspective back then. I can't begin to tell you how bad it was for me <laughs> mentally that, that day and actually moving forward too. But after that second fumble, it felt like a dark cloud had come over me and was now in control. Some of you that have played sports can maybe relate. I don't know, but this was bad. Everything was closing in around me mentally. There was probably 13,000 people in the Unidome that day. It felt like there was 113,000. It's like we were in the big house in Michigan, right? There was no difference. I had fallen prey to past future thinking again. This time I wasn't looking to the future with anxiety. Now, as the game went on, I'm looking to the past. My two fumbles, not one, two, with tremendous guilt and frustration and without proper perspective. So get this, as the game goes on, I actually end up having a good game. I had 100, over 100 yards receiving. They weren't going to let me you know, run the ball again. I didn't want it, thank God. Uh, so, so I had this good game, but do you think I cared about that? I wasn't interested at all in being in the now. I couldn't. I had allowed myself to be engulfed, stuck in the past, stuck in a rut. The two fumbles. And I was upset to say the least. So get this, after a touchdown I scored later that day, this guy is coming over to me on the field, you know, like good teammates do, wants to give me a high five. I, I took him with both hands and I threw him out of my way. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I, it was like, it was almost like it was cruel that they made me be in the game at this point because I felt like everyone was laughing at me. That's what happens when we're not in the present moment like we're supposed to be. I'm sure that guy's parents thought I was the biggest jerk in the world for shoving him, but I didn't care. I could only think about those two fumbles, and I was embarrassed, humiliated. Honestly, I wanted to crawl into a hole. I didn't know how to deal with the situation I was in, which is I was a running back who didn't want to touch the ball again for fear of failure. That's not good. I wasn't controlling the thoughts in my head. They were clearly controlling me. This is exactly where the evil one wants us. Not, not in the present moment where God is and where life is to be lived. Remember, God says, I am, present tense. No, 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 no. The evil one wants us occupied with either the past, feeling guilty or hurt, or the future with anxiety and fear. And at this time, he had me right where he wanted me. 
That was until my twin brother, Pat, reached out to me. He must have known that I was struggling because he sent me some motivational quotes on index cards. It was very sweet of him. And uh, I would always have these cards with me before games. You know, like Linus and his blanket, Charlie Brown's buddy. I joke about it, but back then, honestly, those cards were my lifeline regarding my performance as an athlete. I was floating helplessly on the sea of past and future thinking, trying to keep my head above water. And my twin brother spotted me out in the dark, swirling waves, and he threw me a lifeline. Those cards were my lifeline. I'd even take these cards with me on the road, and I'd sit in the hotel to get my mind right before we get on the bus to go to the stadium. I'll never forget the one that took the weight of the world off my shoulders and changed everything. It freed me from my mental slavery and allowed me to just go out there and be an athlete. It said the following, I allow myself to make mistakes. Oh my gosh, that was it. I couldn't believe it. As soon as I read that, I was like, that's exactly what I wasn't doing and exactly what I needed to hear and reaffirm with myself. I allow myself to make mistakes. That phrase freed me up to be in the moment to be an athlete because now I was good. Hey, if I fumble again, who cares? I allow myself to make mistakes. Thank you, Pat. Over the remaining two years of my college career, I would only fumble one more time. How about some applause for that? It's been a while since I've heard the roar of the crowd, so forgive me. 26 years to be exact. It was a hard, a very hard-earned accomplishment that I'm still proud of today. In hindsight, I'm actually glad that the fumble experience happened to me because it made me tougher for having lived through it. I learned more from that real-life experience of persevering through adversity than I did in my five years in the classroom. As you can see, I was able to train my mind and my thoughts into positive things by practicing with those cards. Amazing. Yes, one shift in thinking can change everything. Clearly it did for me with allowing me to make the conscious decision to allow myself to make mistakes, which again allowed me to be in the now. That's an important part of that. That freeing me up allowed me to be in the now. Who knew it could be such a battle to be in the present? My you and I experience would end up leading me to witness another very important lesson in life, which is that all things are possible when you seek first his kingdom. And I want to share a story with you about that. When I was at you and I, another player by the name of Kurt Warner was discouraged. Kurt was two years younger than I, and we went to All Saints and Regis together. He wasn't seeing the playing field and asked me, his friend and starter, if I would go and talk to the coaches on his behalf about why he wasn't playing. Turns out he wasn't a good practice quarterback. That's what they said. Years later, we would become very good friends. When I was working in Des Moines, we lived there for 10 years, and he was playing with the, you know, the Iowa Barnstormers of the Arena League. By this time, Kurt had found Jesus and was a, a changed man. As most of you know by now, Kurt would go on to make his dreams come true by becoming the NFL MVP and Super Bowl 34 MVP and champion. Mary Pat and I had a behind-the-scenes front-row seat for arguably the greatest success story in the history of sports. And it was a story about faith. So why us? 
I believe that God put us there so that I could stand before you tonight to testify to Kurt's message because I witnessed it firsthand, and it is this, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the Kurt Warner story, my brothers and sisters. Those of you who want to be successful in life, remember those words. Seek first his kingdom. That's what Kurt did before he was a celebrity in, celebrity in his days right after college. He had first sought the kingdom. And you could tell. Kurt was a very unique person to me. He showed tremendous Christian leadership in everything that he did. Whether it was openly talking about his faith or leading by example. One time... He, he cut our post-dinner conversation short. We're at their house. It was probably 7.30, and it was still light out. And he goes, well, I got to get up early tomorrow to work out. Good night. And he goes upstairs to bed. I was shocked. That, my brothers and sisters, is dedication. And let me remind you, that's when he was with the Arena League, and nobody knew who he was. Just think what we could accomplish if we had that kind of dedication to our faith life. There just weren't guys like Kurt that I knew, especially at his age. He had a very profound sense of peace and confidence about him, and that was rooted in his faith in Jesus Christ. Kurt had a white-hot, burning desire to play football in the NFL, to be sure, but he first sought the kingdom. First things first. When I put the kingdom first and I dedicate myself to my faith, like, for example, an athlete getting up to go and work out, Good things are going to happen, and we certainly saw that with the Kurt Warner story. While Kurt was putting first things first, you could say that I was in a rut. You may have seen that title on the flyer tonight. The month after graduating from you and I, Mary Pat and I got married and moved to Des Moines where we lived for 10 years. During the days when we were hanging out there with Kurt before he was famous, I'd like to say that the reason he had such a strong faith life is because I mentored him. But the truth is that while his faith was on fire, mine was not. We'd always go out to eat after the Barnstormer games with our wives, and Kurt would pray spontaneously in public before our meals. I have to admit, I always said grace before my meals, and that's how I was raised. But this whole spontaneous prayer thing, while I love it now, back then, it was a little awkward for me. Here's what was going through my head when it came to Kurt. Great guy, but Bible beater. Guy's a little over the top with his faith. Pull it back a little, dude. Give me a break. Spare me. That's what I was thinking of Kurt, in addition to feeling sorry for him, for playing with the Barnstormers, because I just couldn't play arena ball. So I was wasting a lot of energy feeling sorry for Kurt. That's where I was spiritually at that time. While Kurt was putting first things first, I wasn't. Despite my Catholic education, being raised in a loving Catholic home where we went to church, I was at this point in my life oblivious to the spiritual world. And I didn't have a proper understanding of this ball in space that we're on that's called planet Earth. A good visual to describe me at this point would be a fish in a fishbowl with a bubble thought over its head saying, what is water? That's okay though. All things in their own time. It wasn't my time just yet for the lights to come on. 
with regards to my spiritual life. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. At this point in my life, I was definitely stuck in a spiritual rut. Don't get me wrong. Wasn't a bad person. Wasn't unhappy. It's just that I was the guy that would go to Mass, going through the motions, spacing off, getting distracted by people, by their clothes, by their hats. I, in fact, I'd tell people that I was a bad Catholic, and I was, and I'd feel kind of cool when I'd, say, when I'd say it, like, you know, like I was better than, than people who were Catholic or something like that. It was no, you know, I'm ashamed of it now, but back then it was no biggie. I had reached a place where I had even forgotten that Christ was present in the Eucharist. That's how bad of a Catholic that I was. Professionally, I was doing fine, but I was in a rut too. Um, I, I was reading the same self-help books over and over. I remember there was one book that was from a pupil of Stephen Covey's and it was like Tapping Potential. And I remember like after I read it like the fourth time for four years in a row, I was like, wait a second. I'm never reaching my potential. It's always out there. I, I remember you know, just being stuck in that rut. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. I needed God in my life. I just didn't know it yet. Well, it reached a point that it was so bad that I did the unthinkable. I journaled. <laughs> I can't believe it. I actually journaled about it one day. I don't think you heard me. I said I journaled. You have to understand, like most men, I haven't journaled about anything in my entire life, and I haven't journaled about anything since. So for me, this was truly epic, a really big deal. It was straight talk from me to me, and it was laced with some profanity, I'm not proud to say. I remember thinking, I hope the girls who were real little didn't find that journal someday. By the way, I can't find it, so I'm a little worried. But So have I established yet that I was in a rut? Okay, good. I'm telling you now that I was in a rut, but when it was happening, I didn't tell anyone. Well, my wife probably knew, but that doesn't count because she knows everything and, you know. She doesn't miss anything is what I'm trying to say. God knew, and he was about to send some people and information into my life. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting and what I can't wait to talk with you about. The ultimate rut buster. So what's all this mass hysteria about in Cedar Rapids having to do with this thing? This ultimate rut buster thing. CEO flyers going all over town. Websites going down. Social media is all buzz about it. This can go one of two ways. We can either get knee deep in quantum physics, <laughs> or we can look at it very basically in a way that a first grader could relate to. I think we'll go with the latter. Sound good to you? The ultimate rut buster led me, is what led me to getting out of the rut that I was in. And by the grace of God, it led to my faith being set on fire. As I prepared for this talk and reflected uh, back on when I was learning this information, I was seeking the kingdom. I just didn't know it at the time. And one more thing. The evil one doesn't want us to talk about what we're about to talk about. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Let's get started. The ultimate rub buster. Spiritual world, copy world. A quick point of clarification. When you hear me say the real world or the world of ideas, Please know that it's the same thing as the spiritual world, okay? This is the thought process of where I was, was at, when I was trying to make sense out of the world. Now, it's okay if it doesn't work for you, all right? But this is what worked for me. 
Remember when I said I was like a fish in a fishbowl saying, what is water? That was about to change when my friend Teresa, who was a former youth minister here in town and had moved away, had contacted me to say that she was reading a book and had thought of me and that I just had to read it. Remember when I said that one shift in thinking can change everything and I used the example of my fumbles and the mental adjustment of allowing myself to make mistakes? You know, and just to be relaxed and be in the now. Well, I mentioned it then because it was setting the stage for what is about to be another shift in thinking that's going to change everything for me again. This time it has to do with something far more important than a football game. This time it has to do with my faith. So here we go. Imagine for a moment that you were God. As great as that is to think about, and as awesome as it is to to be love itself, wouldn't it be nice to experience and receive that love in a physical realm? You know, like with a hug? Sure it would. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's what this is. This physical world that we're looking at right now and are a part of is God experiencing man freely choosing to love God in a physical realm, in real time, through me and you. Now, if you were God and you wanted man to experience himself in a physical realm and to, to freely choose you, what would you, what would man need in order to experience himself in a physical realm? This is where I act like you're going to answer and there's no way you are because I remember when I first heard that question. Now, keep in mind, this is not church doctrine, okay? This is how I got to my faith journey. You would need to create a pseudo-world, one that exists in space and time and had a world of opposites. Love, hate, good, bad, far away, close. Because after all, how do you know what you are until you know what you are not? Let me ask you, what is up without down to compare it to? Now, having said that, can you imagine a more perfect environment for experiencing God loving you and loving God back in a physical realm than this world that we live in here? The first line of chapter one of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that God never stops drawing man to himself. And St. Augustine says, as we've talked about earlier, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And now we get a chance to hug in a physical realm. We have free will, right? And how, you can, have, how can you have free will without having free choices, right? And we have the, the world of opposites to choose from, right? And we know right from wrong, right? For example, it's better to draw towards God than away from God. Okay, at this point, I'm getting out of my rut and getting excited with this new way of looking at the creation story. It's allowing me to understand the world that I live in for the first time. Pretty cool, huh? Remember earlier when I asked you to raise your hand if you believe that what you see right now with your eyes and experience with your senses is the real world? And you said yes and raised your hand? Now, remember when you raised your hand and said that you want to live in the real world? I mean, anything else would be insane, right? 
who doesn't want to live in the real world. Well, let me explain how the evil one operates and what I want you to be careful of. Here's what Holy Scripture has to say about the evil one in Revelations 12.9. He's the deceiver of the world. I know that you want to live in the real world. And what I have to tell you might scare you. This isn't the real world. It's the copy world. Surprise! Oh yeah, someone must have forgotten to tell you. This isn't the real world. Plato, one of the world's greatest philosophers, said that this world that you and I see with our eyes isn't the real world at all. It's the copy world. And the real world is the world of ideas. And it can be revealed with a simple demonstration. Let's say that I have in my mind the idea to create, let's say, a blue bird out of paper. Okay? And then I take paper and I make this. It's a little blue bird. What came first? The idea that I had about the bird? Or, or this bird right here? Which came first? The idea. Thank you. The idea came first. And then the paper bird was a copy of the idea of the, of the idea that I had about it, right? This same principle applies to everything that I see with my eyes right now. The pews, the ceiling, the microphone, the walls, the floor. Everything that I see right now was first an idea. What you're seeing is a copy of that idea. Just like with the example of the, per the paper bird. As Plato said, we live in the copy world. The real world is the world of ideas. This is what I was learning. And this is what I want you to know with the ultimate rod buster. You don't want to live in the copy world. That's what the evil one wants. Instead, you want to live in the real world, where God is. Make sure that you're in the spiritual world and not the copy world. We can't go by what the world tells us, which tells us that there's no right and wrong. Just do whatever you want. Well, I'm going to give you a fair warning. As crazy as it sounds, this is the copy world saying it's okay and it's not okay. This is why we need the church. Her job is to protect the deposit of faith. And her magisterium, the teaching office, <clears throat> has 2,000 years of wisdom under her belt. Apostle Paul said, be in the world, but not of the world. Now at this point, when I realized that the copy world <laughs> was what I was living in, and it wasn't the real world, and that the real world was the spiritual world, it was kind of a big deal. <laughs> and it's given me a better and more accurate perspective on the spiritual world and more of an appreciation and newfound respect for it. At this point, I'm no longer feeling like I'm in a rut, but I'm excited and eager to learn more. I'm learning that God wants to have a connection with us. And, and then God kept feeding me more information. 
So to summarize, the real world is the spiritual world. That's where God is. The material world, the copy world, we don't want to be there. That's the copy world. At this point, I'm wanting to be in the now. I'm starting to meditate, actually. I want to share this story because I heard, you know, that's a good place to be in the now, the space in between thoughts. So I want to share this. So I meditated one time, and it was the traditional meditating style where you sit Indian style, palms face up, breathing in through your mouth, eyes open, hold your breath for seven seconds, do that seven times, and you're probably in a different place. And I was. And it was like, if I had to describe it, I would say it was like the space shuttle when it cruises into space and it's just floating. That's what it was like for me. And then when I was done, it was like the space shuttle leaving space. Things aren't floating anymore. Now there's turbulence and I'm back in the real world. But I remember after I meditated this one time, I remember thinking what I was just in, which felt like heaven, it's still there. It's just that I left it. I remember profoundly thinking that. And, and that was the moment of now that I was in. Okay, I'm also learning the following. Ready? I'm also learning a lot about quantum physics and that everything in the copy world that you see, the walls, the trees, the cars, everything comes from the same stuff, just different combinations and quantities of the same stuff. Elements like hydrogen and so forth. And when you break that stuff down, it gets to a point where it's invisible, but it's there. And at that point, it's energy and information and a huge void of energy and information. And what is thought but energy and information? Therefore, thought has creative power. Wow, so now I can understand how something can come from nothing. I can wrap my mind around how it can be scientifically explained that everything you see comes from thoughts. The thoughts of God, just like in Genesis. And who else has the power to choose thoughts? We do. Wow, my thoughts have creative power. After all, we were created in God's image, and like attracts like in the universe. So thoughts shape matter in the universe, and events in it are shaping around my thoughts. My mind is like a magnet attracting good or bad. Did you get all that? Here's where my mind was. I was so full of ideas. It was getting me out of my rut. And I thought, I think my head was about to explode. My talk next year is going to be on quantum physics. The spiritual experience. So at this point in my life, I'm no longer in a rut. But I'm, I'm no longer in a professional rut, but I'm still clueless that I'm in a spiritual rut. And I'm super excited about this new information that I've come across, having to do with quantum physics. How something can come from nothing and how the universe like attracts like. I'm all fired up and empowered. It was right at this point that a friend of mine, Ted, asked me if I would like to go on a Christian experience weekend. And after asking me, he let the question hang in the air, which was smart on his part, waiting for an answer. And I said, yes. Thank you, Ted. And off I went to LaSalle Middle School with my sleeping bag and my newly acquired information, and not in that order. One of the first things we did at the Christian experience weekend is what any group of strangers would do in a room that, where they're going to spend the weekend together, we, we introduced ourselves. So it was my turn, and, you know, you, you say the usual stuff, your name, where you went to church, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I remember when it was my turn, I said, Hi, I'm Mike Schulte. I'm from Cedar Rapids. I went to All Saints and Regis. I'm happily married. I have two daughters that I adore, and I've come across some amazing information, and if anyone wants to talk with me about it, feel free to come and talk to me. And then I sat down. <laughs> It was at this point that my dear friend, Gary Smith, who introduced me tonight, he happened to be sitting at the same table as me on this 
this Christian experience weekend, he leaned over to me and he said, I'm praying for discernment for you. (laughs) Well, it worked. Thanks, Gary. During one of our break times on the weekend, I felt called to go off on my own and spend some quiet time. I remember sitting on the floor in the hallway by myself. And it dawned on me like a revelation that all of the exciting stuff that I had been learning prior, it all all had a tie-in to my Catholic faith. And it was at that moment of recognition in my mind, this flashing instant of grace, that I realized that everything that I had learned about the universe was still real. It's just that before I was giving it an improper name, it was now dawning on me that it was time to give credit where credit was due. It was time to give the universe its rightful name. You see, it was at that moment that it was no longer the universe. No, no, no. In that moment, in that hallway at LaSalle, the naming rights of the universe had changed forever in my mind and in my heart. It was no longer the universe. It was now the Holy Spirit. And it had been the Holy Spirit all along. The same Holy Spirit that had been guiding me. And in the next instant of that moment, I became mindful of the information explaining how something can manifest from nothing. I understood that scientifically because of the creative power of thought. And then I realized the Eucharist. The Eucharist. If God can create the universe with his thought, which I can now wrap my mind around, if his intent is to be present in the Eucharist, which of course it is, then he really is present in the Eucharist physically. It was at this exact moment that everything in my life changed. And as I sat there, in the darkened hall, back against the wall, my eyes up towards the ceiling, I was swept up in wonder and awe, and it felt as though I was receiving, receiving the greatest gift you could ever receive, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This moment was not unlike a computer downloading software. I felt it happening. And my faith was swept up and set on fire like a bonfire. It just went... That was over 10 years ago, as Gary mentioned, and that feeling has never left me. I'm so at peace now. Not restless like before when I was in my rut. Before my conversion, I used to feel alone. When I was alone, I don't feel that way anymore. I never feel alone even when I am alone, physically. My Christian experience weekend led me to be, led to me being anointed by the Holy Spirit to draw closer to God. Remember when I said that I had forgotten that Christ was present in the Eucharist? That's how bad of a Catholic I was. Now, the Eucharist is the highlight of my week, and I, I get the shivers when I take it, when I receive the Blessed Sacrament. 
What a perfect time this Lenten season to focus on our gift of faith. Living in the now, in the present moment with Jesus. This is where I find peace and fulfillment. Taking the, accepting the blessed sacrament is a big hug with Jesus. Excuse me. That required a Kleenex. Understand that God has given us all the tools to live in the spiritual world. We have the sacraments, Scripture, the Blessed Mother to help us, the Rosary, the Divine Chaplet, Holy Water. Gary put some on me before I came up here tonight. Our Guardian Angel. I think, I think you gave your Guardian Angel a name, right? The Communion of Saints. And the list goes on and on. It's true. It really is Jesus in the Eucharist. Jesus said at the Last Supper to his apostles, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body. The church has believed and taught this for over 2,000 years. The ultimate way he could be with us physically is to offer himself up at the sacrifice of the Mass, thus providing us his body and blood, soul and divinity. It is true. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything. Thank you for the privilege of being alive. You have made us in your image, the only creature that is a combination of the spiritual world and the material world. What a privilege that is. We know that you are always drawing us to you. Lord, help us during this Lenten season to go into a, to a quiet place of prayer and to just be with you. Help us to understand that the real world is the unseen, the spiritual world. Help us to spend time there and help us to help one another to get there. Let's all pray in the words that our Father gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you.